0: Well, Pelly, um, you know, Pelly's a, a martial artist teacher and uh, has his own studio, but um, maybe God has another calling for him as well in being a preacher. Um, <laughs> <it's> awesome, <Pelly>. Go. <laughs> so, as Ferdy said, we're here to, to learn today about how we continue to live our lives as part of God's family. And we've been learning through First and Second Thessalonians that the Lord is coming. We've been learning in First and Second Thessalonians that evil will be overcome. And last week, we came to the culmination of that absolute promise that Jesus Christ will reign victorious and the day of the Lord is coming. And that there is a judgment day and that all that is evil will be destroyed and all that is of Christ will live forever. And now we come to this last part Of 2 Thessalonians. And what's so interesting about that is that Paul now just absolutely becomes really down to earth and really practical for us of how to live day by day, moment by moment, event by event in our lives. Even though he's told us that we have the absolute promise of living in all of eternity in heaven, And even though he's told us that every evil is going to be destroyed, he doesn't tell us, now just sit back and relax, everything's going to be okay. But instead he tells us to stand up, to hold on, to move forward, to take this land for God, to be strong and to be mighty and to do the work of God. He tells us how to live practically in this time. He tells us how we can live in light of Jesus' return. The title of our series has been Be Ready and Get Ready for Jesus' Return. And these last two messages are all about living in light of Jesus' return. God has a plan for us, and He will initiate everything. He is sovereign. He is God. He is good. But that doesn't mean that you and I don't have something that we are supposed to do. It doesn't mean that there isn't something that's important for us to also take a hold of and to be able to be employed in God's work. And so today we're going to see how God has interwoven grace, which alone he can give, and faith, which alone we can live. God doesn't force us to live by faith. It's a choice that we make. And so therein lies our ability and responsibility But it is God who initiates by his grace and gives us the opportunity to use the faith that he gives to us as a gift. He helps us to see that even from the moment of our salvation, it was a gift of God. There's a lot of debate in the Bible among people about the Bible in regards to is there free will? In other words, does it only matter about somebody choosing God through their free will and then they become a Christian when they say, God, I want you? Or is it predestination that God chooses somebody and says, that person will become a Christian, that person will be saved no matter what? Well, I think the Bible teaches both. But for primarily and initially, it is always predestination. That God has chosen us and God has elected us as the Bible teaches that we might be saved. But at the same time, God gives us a choice. And we must choose. I don't know anybody who's become a Christian who said to me, you know what, I had no choice. God just made me become a Christian. I've heard just about everybody who's told me about becoming a Christian say that they at one point accepted the truth of Jesus or they received the gift of eternal life or they responded to a call at a sermon, or they turned their life over to Jesus in faith and commitment. In other words, there was a free will involved, but it was God's choice for them to make that free will. And so we see this as we go into Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. So if you open up your Bibles... And there um, are some Bibles on the floor there of the person on the f- in the middle, would just sort of pick them up and pass them to the outside aisles. If somebody if you don't have a Bible and that one gets to you, you're more than welcome to keep it. It's a gift. Um, or you can open up your bulletin, and we'll read together verses 13 through 15. So let's read out loud together. Second Thessalonians verses 13 through 15. Let's begin. But we ought always to thank you for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And so right away, we see that we are loved by the Lord. And this is what Paul gives thanks for. Paul gives thanks to God for everything that he is about to teach. And one of the first things that he says is, I thank God that you are loved by him. I thank God that you are loved by him. And you are loved so much that he chose you to be saved. And this is what we might call election." And so if you're taking notes, this is our first point of how God interweaves His work and our work in our world and in our lives and with Him. And the first is that God's election and our belief are interwoven through the Holy Spirit. God's election and our belief are interwoven through the Holy Spirit. For we see there that not only has God chosen us to be saved, but He's done it through the sanctifying work Of the Holy Spirit. And to be sanctified means to be made holy. And so this is what God's Spirit does. And sometimes we refer to God's Spirit as the Holy Spirit. And so the work of God in our lives is to make us like himself and to make us holy. And so the Bible says that we were saved so that we could be made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that we could be made like God himself but not only that, but we ourselves must do something. God doesn't force it on us. And so it says there at the very end of verse 13, through belief in the truth. We must believe the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. And so Jesus is the truth in which we believe in, as Pelle just shared with us. It is the belief of who Jesus is and of what he's done. It's not just the belief about Jesus, and it's not just the belief that Jesus was once a real person and that he lived on earth, but it is a belief that is personal and powerful within our own lives, and the Holy Spirit has to do that work in our lives. The Holy Spirit sets us apart for God's use. The Holy Spirit fills us with himself so that our belief then can bear fruit. And this is what is the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news, that you and I, when we give our lives over to Jesus, we get to share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Pelley said is, I can't wait. I can't wait until that time where I'm with Jesus. I can't wait until I'm where I am and full glory resides. But even though that is something that is future and guaranteed and absolute, there's still something for us to do And the Bible says in verse 15, this is what we do. So we must then stand firm and hold to the teachings passed on to us. We must stand firm and hold on to the teachings that God gives to us. Now God has saved us. And the Bible makes it very clear that election belongs to the providence of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, and you have those verses there, on your outline and they'll be up on the screen as well. I'll read it. You can follow. But this is God's word consistent throughout the Old Testament of his sovereign choice of the people of Israel to be his own and to be his children. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7 8 God says the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so the Bible makes it very clear that the people of Israel were chosen, not because they were so great, not because they were so good, but because God chose them and God loved them and God loves them still. He has put an oath upon this, that they are his children, but they are his chosen children. Now in the New Testament, again, just one verse, but it's consistent throughout the New Testament of those whom God chooses, and it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And the Bible says, to all believers, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so God has chosen us. He is the first one to make the initial contact so that you and I could be saved. And when did he choose us? He didn't choose us after we were born. He didn't choose us when we were in our mother's womb. He chose us before the world was even created. That's how great the love of God is, that he uh, chose to adopt us even before the world was made. That's how sovereign God is. That's how great his plan is. Um, I once met a a lady, a young lady. And we were just in a a group, and we were sharing testimonies of our lives. And she was sharing how she had been adopted as as a little girl and how she loved her parents and how her parents raised her in the love of Jesus Christ, and how her parents always told her, you are so special because you were adopted by us. We chose you. Other parents, they don't get to choose their children, but we got to choose you. That makes you so special. And, said, and she said to us, you know, so I grew up feeling sorry for other children who weren't adopted. <laughs> He says, I grew up feeling sorry for children that weren't adopted because you know what? You know, their parents didn't choose them. They just sort of happened. Right? But my mommy and daddy, they chose me. And you know, that's how I think God would have us to feel, that we are chosen by him. We didn't just happen. And we were chosen from the beginning of the world. We were chosen to believe. We were chosen to know the truth. We were chosen to be his child. And God has called us, and he says, that is so important. This world's difficult. This world is hard, and Paul has told us all about that through Thessalonians, through trials, through persecutions, through temptations, through enemies. And so Paul says that you must do this in your faith in verse 15. You must stand firm in what you believe. And you must hold on to the teachings of the Word of God. You must stand firm in what the Bible teaches. So what we gave our children today, we would give our children until the end of time on earth because that is the only thing that is absolutely true and essential and that the Word of God will live forever, the Bible says. And that the word of God is absolutely true, and this is our dependence. And though, even though we go through difficult times, our belief is in what God has said is true in his word, in his teachings, and we stand firm in all these things. No matter what trials we go through, we look to the word of God to guide us and to lead us. And we live in light of Jesus' return by continuing to know his word and know his love for us as the chosen ones. Well, the second thing that we do that Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, is we live in God's grace and our good deeds. And they are interwoven with encouragement and hope. God's grace and our good deeds are interwoven with encouragement and good hope. You have verses 16 through 17 there on your outline, or you've opened it up it, Your Bibles? Would you read that with me? Let's begin. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Now, good deeds never saved anybody. Good works are not enough to save us. You go out in the world and you ask somebody, how do you think you get to heaven? Probably more people than not are going to say, well, you, you just do good. And so the idea would be that somehow at the end of life, if there's a little bit more on the good side than the bad side, you get to go to heaven. But God says, the only one who gets to go to heaven are those who are perfect. Well, you and I know that we're far from perfect. In fact, we know that we sin. And the Bible makes that very clear. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And that no one is righteous, not even one. And that the only way to salvation would be for us to be perfect. Well, we're not. But there is one who is perfect. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus never sinned. And he lived the perfect life. And he died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. And so when we place our faith in him, it is as if God is saying to us, now I put the perfection of Jesus on you, and I accept you as the one who is perfect just as my son is perfect. And as he as He is in heaven, so you shall be in heaven too. And so that is the perfection of Jesus that brings us into heaven. It is the work of Jesus Christ that allows the way for us to be able to follow him as the way. It is the life of Christ who we lived it perfectly that we can have his life in us. And it is the truth that Jesus is the Son of God that we follow that allows us to know that we can trust him to take us to heaven. And this is the message that Paul proclaimed. This is the message that God gave to the people. And this is the message that he wants us to understand that God will continue to help us, the one who loves us, the one who's given us his grace, and the one who gives us eternal encouragement. It's wonderful that Paul used that word eternal. Because you would think like, well, once you get to heaven, you don't need encouragement, right? You're like, why would you need encouragement once you get to heaven? But Paul says that I think for two reasons. One is that these people are going through really difficult problems today. They're going through moments today that are so painful, So scary and so trying that they have so much anxiety and stress in their lives. And Paul's trying to relieve them of that. If you just compare what you're going through now to eternity, you're going to be eternally encouraged. You are going to be encouraged so much that whatever trial you're going through today, it's going to look so piddly in light of eternity. And you are going to be encouraged forever by God. And I think the other reason is because of what the word encourage means. The word encourage in Greek means to call near, to call near. And I think that what God is saying to us here is this internal encouragement is that in heaven, God is continually going to be near us. And we will be internally encouraged because God is always near us. God is always close to us. God is always by our side. And so God wants us to know and to have this encouragement in our lives for all of eternity, but also he wants us to be encouraged in our hearts today. Let God encourage your heart today that you were here worshiping him and that he is real and that he loves you and that he has everything in hand, even though life is difficult. And that no matter what will come, that God is with us as we celebrate Christmas that God is with us, Emmanuel, but that God is with us as we celebrate Easter because he rose from the grave to be with us and that God is with us in all of eternity to encourage us and to draw us to his side and that God will strengthen our heart even now with all of those truths together. The heart represents the whole of the inner woman and the whole of the inner man. Our heart represents our thinking. You have thoughts maybe that are difficult. Your mind wanders and and you begin to worry. You keep thinking of something and you keep worrying about it. But God's heart and your heart can come together and be interwoven so that you can have the thoughts of God and know that he is in control. Our emotions are part of who we are. It's part of our heart. Our emotions are scattered, our emotions are real, our emotions are raw, our emotions cause us to worry or to be depressed or to be sorrowful. But God says, you know what, I have it in my hand, and it will be okay. I will take care of you, and you can come to me in hurt, you can come to me in joy, you can come to me as you are. So whether it be our mind or emotions or our body, our body is hurting we're going through difficulty we're going through illness we're going through trials our bodies are weak we're getting older we're getting more um, pains and aches we can't do things the way we did before it's okay because god has us in his hands and by his grace he will continue to give us strength so that we can use our lives to do the good deeds that he's made us to do you don't know no, these deeds don't save us but these deeds do reveal our salvation These deeds do reveal the work of God in our lives. These deeds are the ways that we help other people know the encouragement of God. These deeds are the way that we help share the love of God. And so this is what Paul talks about in chapter 3, in verses 1 through 2. This is our work. This is our greatest deed. And that is to share the love of Christ with other people. And so the third way in which Paul helps us to see how to live in light of Jesus' return is this is that God's message, God's word, God's message and our evangelism are interwoven with much prayer. God's message and our evangelism are interwoven with much prayer. Would you read with me verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 in Second Thessalonians? Let's read out loud together. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. And I think about this, that God has a message, and this message is his truth in the Bible. This message has been in the Bible ever since the Bible was first written, in that Jesus Christ loves us, and that God loves the world, and so he gave us his Son, This message alone is the message of salvation. But God uses men and women to bring us to himself. And so God says that you take the message and you pray for people as that message goes across to them. I became a Christian when I was about 16 years old. My grandmother became a Christian from what I understand when she was about 70 years old. But my grandmother became a Christian, I believe, before I became a Christian. Well, the interesting story is that I grew up in a church uh, where the gospel was not really preached. Okay? I grew up in a church where the gospel, the, the truth of the word of God, it was sort of taught, but the gospel itself, I never really understood it there. But there were people there who believed in Jesus Christ. There were people there who loved Jesus and who were praying that this church would turn around and that the gospel would be preached. Well, I became a Christian when I was 16, and I didn't go to church much, except when my parents would make me to go, and they started taking me when I was in kindergarten, and I would go maybe once or twice a year, up until I was the age of 16, but when I was turned 16, I met somebody at the church, she helped lead me to the Lord, and I became excited about Jesus. And so as my faith began to grow, I began to know more people in the church, and I was talking to this lady who, um, she's probably about 20 years older than me, and she says, you know, Curtis, I was your Sunday school teacher in kindergarten, and I began praying for your salvation when you were in kindergarten. I began praying for your salvation when you were in kindergarten. Well, God answered those prayers. I mean, this church wasn't the strongest Bible-believing church in the city, but it had people there who loved Jesus and who were praying for the salvation of those in the church. And so about, what, 11 years later, after she began praying for me, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my grandmother grew up in China, didn't know anything about Jesus, came to the United States and had a rough life. And, and she was going through many different trials herself, but there's this old lady who came to know her and meet her. And this old lady befriended her. And this old lady would share the gospel with my grandmother. And then my grandmother began to hear the word of God. And my grandmother gave her life over to Jesus Christ and became a Christian. And I always remember my grandmother telling me, I pray for you. I pray for you every day. I pray that you will will love Jesus. I pray that you will find a good wife. She prayed for me. Well, who was it that led her to the Lord? It was my Sunday school teacher's mother. It was her mom who'd been praying for my grandmother, and led her to the Lord. Her daughter prayed for me, and someone else led me to the Lord. And so we must pray. We must preach, yes. We must share the message of God. But we must also pray. And this is what Paul is saying. The Bible tells us that when we pray, God hears our prayers. If we ask, God will give. And Paul says there in verse 2, and we pray, and we pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. And so we pray that God would help us in the midst of all of our struggles. If we preach the word of God, we can be certain we'll be persecuted, and trials will come our way. The words of John Phillips, a Bible commentator, says this, prayer links us with the throne of the universe. It connects us with the mind, heart, and will of God. Prayer is one of the forces of the universe, as real as the forces of gravity, electricity, and magnetism. I mean, we believe in all those things, and we don't see them, right? We don't see gravity. We don't usually see electricity. We don't see magne- magnetic forces, but they're all very real. And we believe in them. They're working right now. And even more so, God is working in his same way right now. He is hearing your prayers. You may not see it happening, but he is. He is drawing things together. He is bringing people together, His energy is in the universe, drawing things together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray and we pray and we never give up, and we share the message of God with those that we love, that they might know Jesus. And fourthly, in living in light of Jesus' return, we know God's faithfulness and our own obedience are interwoven with love and perseverance, God's faithfulness, and our own obedience. So God is faithful. Yes, God's absolutely faithful. But we must also obey to lay hold of that faithfulness. And when we obey, we lay hold of God's love. And when we obey, we even lay hold of Jesus' perseverance. But when we obey, we also have our own love. We also have our own perseverance. Please read with me verses 3 through 5 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's begin. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. God wants us to be strong in him. God wants us to have confidence. And Paul says, we have confidence in the Lord. Where do you find your confidence? Where do you find your confidence? Um, growing up um, as a little boy in grade school, I remember that you know, there were a lot of movements going on through the 60s. And, and one was the um, self-realization movement, you know, self-esteem. And remember, like teachers would talk about, you've got to have self-esteem. And that has continued to this day to just sort of mushroom and, and to transform into other sayings today. Um, in the 60s, one of my favorite movies, and actually it's still one of my favorite movies today, is The Sound of Music. Right? I love The Sound of Music. I love singing the songs with them. I like yodeling. Um, you know, I, like, I like doing all those things. All right, I love, But the, the, the words of the song, we've got to think about. You know, Maria sings this one song called I Have Confidence. Right? And she says, I have confidence in sunshine. I have confidence in rain. I have confidence that spring will come again. I have confidence in confidence alone. Besides what you see, I have confidence in, you know. All right. So I have confidence in confidence alone. You know, and that was the message that I heard growing up. You have to have confidence in yourself. You have to have faith in yourself. And sometimes people just say, you have to have faith in faith. You know, that's not what God says. We can't have confidence in me. I'm not very trustworthy. But God is. I place my confidence in God. I don't place my confidence in confidence. I don't place my faith in faith. I place my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, the one who lived in heaven in perfect, absolute peace and joy and glory and gave it all up so that people like you and I could know that glory and share that glory. I place my faith, I place my confidence not in what I can do, but in what God has done for you and for me in dying on the cross, in paying the penalty for my sins, in rising again in eternity and in life, that God has given to us his love in Jesus. And this is the love that we find, not in confidence in ourselves, but in confidence in God and in his love. And that love will never go away. God loves you. He can't stop loving you. He can't love you any more and he can't love you any less than he loves you right now. His love is perfect. His love is indelible. His love is indestructible. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, you have it there in your outline. It'll be on the screen, but I'll read it. And it's taken from the message version of the Bible and I really like this translation. In Romans 8, 38, the Bible says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing Nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable. Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. God's love. Nothing can get in the way of God's love because Jesus embraces us in it. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God's love in the midst of our trials. God's love above and beyond everything else in this life. I know you all have trials. And you can be absolutely certain I have my own too. There are uncertainties in our life. There are difficulties in our life. And there are coming trials in this world that you and I have yet to see that will shake our world and test our faith. And we must be ready because the Bible tells us that as Jesus coming gets nearer, evil is going to be on the rise. That's what we talked about last week. There's going to be trials coming our way until the coming of the Lord, be it by rapture or be it by storm. That Jesus is coming. And we have to be ready. Now, in our lives, we're going through difficult times, and it's easy to get discouraged. Many years ago, um, back in the, the, the late 70s, early 80s, I heard a, a lady speak. Her name was Cory Ten Boom. And some of you may have heard of her name. She was a Dutch Christian, and, and she and her family loved the Lord Jesus very much. And they saved hundreds, maybe thousands of Jews from Nazism. And they, they risked their lives and ended up, they were all caught and arrested and put put in jail uh, by the Nazis, and there all the family members, except for Corey died. But when she was there, I remember she told the story um, about how as you go through life, you go through difficulties, and it's as if you're looking at the back of a tapestry, and I don't know if any of you have looked at the back of a tapestry, you know, but all you see are the threads, the loose threads. You may see a bit of the design, but you don't see the whole thing. And what she was telling us as she spoke was that, that God in heaven is making a tapestry of our lives. But as we look up at what God is doing, all we see is the backside of it. Because God's making the tapestry in the front for himself. But he knows what he's doing. Well, many years ago, um, my wife made a tapestry um, for me. Okay, And, um, and so this is, this is the tapestry that she made many years ago early on in our marriage. So you can sort of get an idea of what it is, Right? Okay, so you can tell that it's a rainbow, all right? But can you tell anything else? What else can you tell about this tapestry? And there's a picture of it up there. Okay, it's colorful. It's a heart. Anything else? The backside. backside. Okay, is there a word? Is. Okay, what does that mean? All right, is. Hmm, Is. Well, you know, God is doing something, all right? And we don't see everything... All the time. We see the back of the tapestry. He's making something. We're looking up. He's doing something good. But it will only be when we get to heaven. It will only be when we're in his presence that we're going to see the other side of the tapestry and what he was doing all along. And so what he was doing all along was he is preparing us for forever. It is his love that is Forever. And so often we get discouraged because we look at what's happening today and we expect it to be fixed right now. We expect everything to go right our way. We expect his love and we say, if God loves me, then why would he let this happen to me? If God loves me, why doesn't he do what I want? And he's saying, I do love you. And that's why I don't answer right now. Because I don't want to ruin it by giving it to you too soon. I don't want to give it to you on earth where you don't get to have it in heaven. I want you to have it for forever. For Forever. And that's on the backside of our tapestry as the word is, God is. God is working. But on the other side, God is working for your eternity and not just for your earthly living. God is working in eternity now. And he is faithful. But we must be obedient. That is our role. That is how God interweaves our life with his. That we are faithful to him Always, because he is forever faithful. And that you can put your confidence in all the time for all eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And for the blessings and the glory that come through him. And Father, we pray. We pray that we might take the truth of your word and live it in our lives. That you are forever faithful. And that you call us to a life of obedience. And it is by your grace and by your chosenness and by the election that you have called us to yourself. And yet, you also give us the will to obey or disobey. But Father, our desire is to obey. And so we pray, Father, for anyone here who who has heard Pelle's testimony and who stands on that same side that he once stood on and said, I, my life is empty. I need meaning in my life. And you are the one who gives meaning. And so, Father, we pray for those here today that they, like Pelle, might say, God, I give my life to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he is real and who he says he is. And that he rose from the grave, and I give my life to you. Father, help us to place our absolute confidence in who you are and in what you've done. That you are God and sovereign, and that you are good, and that for all of eternity we can live with you. Lord, I pray for all of us today to be serious about our faith, to take it seriously because it's the most important thing we could ever have in all of eternity. And in your name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you that if you have any questions or